0: Book 16, Chapters 1 through 3 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox, L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X, dot org. Book 16, Containing the Space of Five Days. Chapter 1 of Prologues i have heard of a dramatic writer who used to say he would rather write a play than a prologue in such manner i think i can with less pains write one of the books of this history than the prefatory chapter to each of them to say the truth i believe many a hearty curse has been bestowed on the head of that author who first instituted the method of prefixing to his play that portion of matter which is called a prologue and which at first was part of the piece itself but of latter years hath had usually so little connection with the drama before which it stands that the prologue to one play might as well serve for any other those indeed of more modern date seem all to be written on the same three topics viz an abuse of the taste of the town a condemnation of all contemporary authors and a eulogium of the performance just about to be represented the sentiments in all these are very little varied nor is it possible they should and indeed i have often wondered at the great invention of authors who have been capable of finding such various phrases to express the same thing in like manner i apprehend some future historian if any one shall do me the honour of imitating my manner will after much scratching his pate bestow some good wishes on my memory for having first established these several initial chapters most of which like modern prologues may as properly be prefixed to any other book in this history as to that which they introduce or indeed to any other history as to this but however authors may suffer by either of these inventions the reader will find sufficient emolument in the one as the spectator hath long found in the other first it is well known that the prologue serves the critic for an opportunity to try his faculty of hissing and to tune his cat-call to the best advantage, by which means I have known these musical instruments so well prepared that they have been able to play in full concert at the first rising of the curtain. The same advantages may be drawn from these chapters, in which the critic will always be sure of meeting with something that may serve as a whetstone to his noble spirit, so that he may fall with a more hungry appetite for censure on the history itself and here his sagacity must make it needless to observe how artfully these chapters are calculated for that excellent purpose for in these we have always taken care to intersperse somewhat of the sour acid kind in order to sharpen and stimulate the said spirit of criticism again the indolent reader as well as spectator finds great advantage from both these for as they are not so obliged either to see the one or read the others and both the play and the book are thus protracted by the former they have a quarter of an hour longer allowed them to sit at dinner and by the latter they have the advantage of beginning to read at the fourth or fifth page instead of the first a matter by no means of trivial consequence to persons who read books with no other view than to say they have read them a more general motive for reading than is commonly imagined and from which not only law books and good books but the pages of homer and virgil of swift and cervantes have been often turned over many other are the emoluments which arise from both these but they are for the most part so obvious that we shall not at present stay to enumerate them especially since it occurs to us that the principal merit of both the prologue and the preface is that they be short chapter two a whimsical adventure which befell the squire with the distressed situation of sophia we must now convey the reader to mr western's lodgings which were in piccadilly where he was placed by the recommendation of the landlord at the hercules pillars at hyde park corner for at the inn which was the first he saw on his arrival in town he placed his horses and in those lodgings which were the first he heard of he deposited himself here when sophia alighted from the hackney coach which brought her from the house of lady she desired to retire to the apartment provided for her to which her father very readily agreed and whither he attended her himself a short dialogue neither very material nor pleasant to relate minutely then passed between them in which he pressed her vehemently to give her consent to the marriage with Blifil, who as he acquainted her was to be in town in a few days but instead of complying she gave a more peremptory and resolute refusal than she had ever done before this so incensed her father that after many bitter vows that he would force her to have him whether she would or no. He departed from her with many hard words and curses, locked the door, and put the key into his pocket. While Sophia was left with no other company than would attend the closest state prisoner, namely fire and cattle, the squire sat down to regale himself over a bottle of wine with his parson and the landlord of the Hercules Pillars, who, as the squire said, Would make it an excellent third man and would inform them of the news of the town and how affairs went for to be sure says he he knows a great deal since the horses of many of the quality stand at his house in this agreeable society mr western passed that evening and great part of the succeeding day during which period nothing happened of sufficient consequence to find a place in this history all this time sophia passed by herself "'for her father swore she should never come out of her chamber alive "'unless she first consented to marry Bliffle. "'Nor did he ever suffer the door to be unlocked, "'unless to convey her food, "'on which occasions he always attended himself. "'The second morning after his arrival, "'when he and the parson were at breakfast together on a toast and tankard, "'he was informed that a gentleman was below to wait on him. "'A gentleman?' quoth the squire. "'What who the devil can he be?' "'Do, doctor, go down and see who tis. "'Mr. Bliffle can hardly be come to town yet. "'Go down, do, and know what his business is.' "'The doctor returned with an account "'that it was a very well-dressed man, "'and by the ribbon in his hat "'he took him for an officer of the army "'that he said he had some particular business "'which he could deliver to none but Mr. Western himself. "'An officer?' cries the squire what can any such fellow have to do with me if he wants an order for baggage wagons i am no justice of the peace here nor can i grant a warrant let him come up then if he must speak to me a very genteel man now entered the room who having made his compliments to the squire and desired the favour of being alone with him delivered himself as follows sir i come to wait upon you from the command of my lord Philemon but with a very different message from what I suppose you expect, after what passed the other night. My lord, oh, cries the squire, I never heard the name of an His lordship, said the gentleman, is willing to impute everything to the effect of liquor, and the most trifling acknowledgment of that kind will set everything right. For as he hath the most violent attachment to your daughter, you, sir, are the last person upon earth from whom he would resent an affront and happy is it for you both that he hath given such public demonstrations of his courage as to be able to put up an affair of this kind without danger of any imputation on his honour all he desires therefore is that you will before me make some acknowledgment the slightest in the world will be sufficient and he intends this afternoon to pay his respects to you in order to obtain your leave of visiting the young lady on the footing of a lover i don't understand much of what you say sir says the squire but i suppose by what you talk about my daughter that this is the lord which my cousin lady belaston mentioned to me and said something about his courting my daughter if so be that how that be the case you may give my service to his lordship and tell him the girl has disposed of already perhaps sir said the gentleman "'You are not sufficiently apprised of the greatness of this offer. "'I believe such a person, title, and fortune would be nowhere refused.' "'Lucky, sir,' answered the squire. "'To be very plain, my daughter is bespoke already. "'But if she was not, I would not marry her to a lord upon any account. "'I hate all lords. "'They are a parcel of courtiers and Hanoverians, "'and I will have nothing to do with them.' "'Well, sir,' said the gentleman, "'if that is your resolution the message i am to deliver you is that my lord desires the favour of your company this morning in hyde park you may tell my lord answered the squire that i am busy and cannot come i have enough to look after at home and can't stir abroad on any account i am sure sir quoth the other you are too much a gentleman to send such a message you will not i am convinced have it said of you that after having affronted a noble peer do you refuse him satisfaction his lordship would have been willing from his great regard to the young lady to have made up matters in another way but unless he is to look on you as a father his honour will not suffer his putting up such an indignity as you must be sensible you offered him oh, i offered him cries the squire it's a damned loy i never offered him anything upon these words the gentleman returned a very short verbal rebuke and this he accompanied at the same time with some manual remonstrances which no sooner reached the ear of mr western than that worthy squire began to keep her very briskly about the room bellowing at the same time with all his might as if desirous to summon a great number of spectators to behold his agility the parson, who had left great part of the tankard unfinished, was not retired far. He immediately attended, therefore, on the squire's vociferation, crying, "Bless me, sir! What's the matter?" "Matter," quoth the squire. "Here's a MAN, I believe, who wants to rob and murder me, for he hath fallen upon me with that stick there in his hand. When I wish, I may be damned if I give him the least provocation." "How, sir?" said the captain. Did you not tell me I lied? as I hope to be saved, answered the squire. I believe I might say 'twas a lie that I had offered any affront to my lord, "'but I never said the word, you lie. "'I understand myself better, "'and you might have understood yourself better "'than to fall upon a naked man. "'If I had a stick in my hands, "'you would not have dared strike me. "'I'd have knocked thy lantern jaws about thy ears.' Come down in the yard this minute, and I'll take about with thee at single stick for a broken head, that I will. Or I will go in a naked room and box thee for a bellyful, and o not half a man anon't, I'm sure. The captain, with some indignation, replied, I see, sir, you are below my notice, and I shall inform his lordship you are below his. I'm sorry I have dirtied my fingers with you at which words he withdrew the parson interposing to prevent the squire from stopping him in which he easily prevailed as the other though he made some efforts for the purpose did not seem very violently bent on success however when the captain was departed the squire sent many curses and some menaces after him but as these did not sit out from his lips till the officer was at the bottom of the stairs and grew louder and louder as he was more and more remote he did not reach his ears or at least did not retard his departure poor sevilla however who in her prison heard all her father's outcries from first to last began now first to thunder with her foot and afterwards to scream as loudly as the old gentleman himself had done before though in a much sweeter voice these screams soon silenced the squire and turned all his consideration towards his daughter whom he loved so tenderly that the least apprehension of any harm happening to her threw him presently into agonies for except in that single instance in which the whole future happiness of her life was concerned she was sovereign mistress of his inclinations having ended his rage against the captain with swearing he would take the law of him the squire now mounted upstairs to sophia whom as soon as he had unlocked and opened the door he found all pale and breathless the moment however that she saw her father she collected all her spirits and catching him whole by the hand she cried passionately
1: oh my dear sir i am almost frightened to death i hope to heaven no harm has happened to you
0: no no cries the squire. no great arm that rascal hath not hurt me much but rat me if i don't add a lot of him
1: pray dear sir says she tell me what's the matter who hath insulted you
0: i don't know the name man answered western some officer fellow i suppose that we are to pay for beating us but i'll make him pay for this bout if the rascal hath got anything which i suppose he hath not for though he were dressed out so vine i question whether he had a voot of land in the world
1: but dear sir cries she what was the occasion of your quarrel
0: what should it be sophie answered the squire but about you sophie all my misfortunes are about you you will be the death of your poor father at last here is a varlet of a lord the lord knows who forsooth who hath a tan a liking to you and because i would not give him my consent he sent me a calendar. come do be a good girl sophie and put an end to all your father's troubles Come, do consent to Han. He'll be in town within this day or two. Do but promise me to marry on as soon as he comes, and you'll make me the happiest man in the world, and I'll make you the happiest woman. You shall have the finest clothes in London, and the finest jewels, and a coach and Six at your command. I promised all worthy already to give up half my estate. I'll drab at it. I should hardly stick to giving up the whole.
1: Will my papa be so kind? says she. As to hear me speak.
0: Why would ask, Sophie? cries he, when dost No I had rather hear thy voice than the music of the best pack of dogs in England. Hear thee, my dear little girl. I hope I shall hear thee as long as I live. For if I were ever to lose that pleasure, I would not give a brass varden to live a moment longer. Indeed, Sophie, you do not know how I love you. Indeed you don't or you never could have run away and left your poor father who have no other joy no other comfort on earth but his little Sophie. at these words tears stood in his eyes and sophia with the tears streaming from hers answered
1: indeed my dear papa i know you have loved me tenderly and heaven is my witness how sincerely i have returned your affection nor could anything but an apprehension of being forced into the arms of this man have driven me to run from a father whom i love so passionately that i would with pleasure sacrifice my life to his happiness nay i have endeavoured to reason myself into doing more and had almost worked up a resolution to endure the most miserable of all lives to comply with your inclination it was that resolution alone to which i could not force my mind nor can i ever
0: here the squire began to look wild and the foam appeared at his lips which sophia observing begged to be heard out and then proceeded
1: if my father's life his health or any real happiness of his was at stake here stands your resolved daughter may heaven blast me if there is a misery i would not suffer to preserve you no that most detested most loathsome of all lots would i embrace I would give my hand to Bliffle for your sake.
0: I tell thee it would preserve me, answers the father. It'll give me health, happiness, life, everything. Upon my soul I shall die if dost refuse me. I shall break my heart, I shall upon my soul.
1: Is it possible? says she, you can have a desire to make me miserable.
0: I tell thee no, answered he loudly. "'Damn me if there is a thing upon earth, I would not do to see thee happy.'
1: "'And will none, my dear papa, allow me to have the least knowledge of what will make me so? If it be true that happiness consists in opinion, what must be my condition, when I shall think myself the most miserable of all the wretches upon earth?'
0: "'Better think yourself so,' says he, then know it by being married to a poor bastardly vagabond.'
1: if it will content you sir said sophia i will give you the most solemn promise never to marry him nor any other while my papa lives without his consent let me dedicate my whole life to your service let me be again your poor sophie and my whole business and pleasure be as it has been to please and divert you
0: look hey eh, sophie answered the squire, i am not to be choused in this manner "'Your Aunt Western would then have reason to think me the fool she doth. "'No, no, Sophie, I'd have you to know I've got more wisdom "'and no more of the world than to take the word of a woman "'in a no matter where a man is concerned.'
1: "'How, sir, have I deserved this want of confidence?' said she. "'Have I ever broke a single promise to you, "'or have I ever been found guilty of a falsehood from my cradle?'
0: look ay Sophie cries she that's neither here nor there i am determined upon this match and have him you shall damn me if sha not damn me if sha not though dost hang myself the next morning at repeating which words he clenched his fist knit his brows bit his lips and thundered so loud that the poor afflicted terrified sophia sunk trembling into her chair and had not a flood of tears come immediately to her relief Perhaps worse had followed. Western beheld the deplorable condition of his daughter with no more contrition or remorse than the turnkey of Newgate feels at viewing the agonies of a tender wife when saying her last farewell of her condemned husband. Or rather, he looked down on her with the same emotions which arise in an honest fair tradesman who sees his debtor dragged to prison for ten pounds, which, though a just debt, the wretch is wickedly unable to pay or to hit the case still more nearly he felt that same compunction with the board, when some poor innocent whom she hath ensnared into her hands falls into fits at the first proposal of what is called seeing company indeed this resemblance would be exact was it not that the board hath an interest in what she does and the father though perhaps he may blindly think otherwise can in reality have none in urging his daughter almost an equal prostitution in this condition he left his poor sophia and departing with a very vulgar observation on the effect of tears he locked the room and returned to the parson who said everything he durst in behalf of the young lady which though perhaps it was not quite so much as his duty required yet was it sufficient to throw the squire into a violent rage and into many indecent reflections on the whole body of the clergy which we have too great an honour for that sacred function to commit to paper chapter three what happened to sophia during her confinement the landlady of the house where the squire lodged had begun very early to entertain a strange opinion of her guests however as she was informed that the squire was a man of vast fortune and as she had taken care to exact a very extraordinary price for her rooms she did not think proper to give any offence, for, though she was without some concern for the confinement of poor Sophia, of whose great sweetness of temper and affability the maid of the house had made so favourable a report, which was confirmed by all the squire's servants, yet she had much more concern for her own interest than to provoke one whom, as she said, she perceived to be a very hastish kind of gentleman. Though Sophia eat but little, yet she was regularly served with her meals indeed i believe if she had liked any one rarity that the squire however angry would have spared neither pains nor course to have procured it for her since however strange it may appear to some of my readers he really doted on his daughter and to give her any kind of pleasure was the highest satisfaction of his life the dinner hour being arrived black george carried her up a pallet the squire himself for he had sworn not to part with the key, attending the door. As George deposited the dish, some compliments passed between him and Sophia, for he had not seen her since she left the country, and she treated every servant with more respect than some persons show to those who are in a very slight degree their inferiors. Sophia would have had him take the pullet back saying she could not eat but george begged her to try and particularly commended to her the eggs of which he said it was full all this time the squire was waiting at the door but george was a great favourite with his master as his employment was in concerns of the highest nature namely about the game and was accustomed to take many liberties he had officiously carried up the dinner being as he said, very desirous to see his young lady. He made, therefore, no scruple of keeping his master standing above ten minutes, while civilities were passing between him and Sophia, for which he received only a good-humoured rebuke at the door when he returned. The eggs of pullets, partridges, pheasants, etc., were, as George well knew, the most favourite dainties of Sophia. It was, therefore, no wonder that he, who was a very good-natured fellow, should take care to supply her with this kind of delicacy at a time when all the servants in the house were afraid she would be starved for she had scarce swallowed a single morsel in the last forty hours though vexation hath not the same effect on all persons as it usually hath on a widow whose appetite it often renders sharper than it can be rendered by the air on Banstead downs or salisbury plain yet the sublimest grief notwithstanding what some people may say to the contrary will eat at last and sophia herself after some little consideration began to dissect the foal which she found to be as full of eggs as george had reported it but if she was pleased with these it contained something which would have delighted the royal society much more for if a fowl with three legs be so invaluable a curiosity when perhaps time has produced a thousand such at what price shall we esteem a bird which so totally contradicts all the laws of animal economy as to contain a letter in its belly? Ovid tells us of a flower into which Hyacinthus was metamorphosed, which bears letter on its leaves, which Vergil recommended as a miracle to the royal society of his day. But no age nor nation hath ever recorded a bird with a letter in its moor. But though a miracle of this kind might have engaged all the Académie de Science in Europe, and perhaps in a fruitless inquiry, yet the reader, by barely recollecting the last dialogue which passed between Messieurs Jones and Partridge, will be very easily satisfied from whence this letter came, and how it found its passage into the fool. Sophia, notwithstanding her long fast, and notwithstanding her favourite dish was there before her, no sooner saw the letter than she immediately snatched it up, tore it open, and read as follows.
2: Madame, was I not sensible, to whom I have the honour of writing, I should endeavour, however difficult, to paint the horrors of my mind at the account brought me by Mrs. Honour. But as tenderness alone can have any true idea of the pangs which tenderness is capable of feeling, so can this most amiable quality, which my Sophia possesses in the most eminent degree, sufficiently inform her what her Jones must have suffered on this melancholy occasion. Is there a circumstance in the world which can heighten my agonies when I hear of a misfortune which has befallen you? Surely is one only, and with that I am accursed. It is, my Sophia, the dreadful consideration that I am myself the wretched cause. Perhaps I here do myself too much honor, but none will envy me an honor which cost me so extremely dear. Pardon me this presumption, and pardon me a greater still if I ask you, whether my advice, my assistance, my presence, my absence... My death or my torches can bring you any relief. Can the most perfect admiration, the most watchful observance, the most ardent love, the most melting tenderness, the most resigned submission to your will, make you amends for what you are to sacrifice to my happiness. If they can, fly, my lovely angel, to the arms which are ever open to receive and protect you, and to which whether you bring yourself alone, or the riches of the world with you, is, in my opinion, an alternative not worth regarding. If, on the contrary, wisdom shall predominate, and on the most mature reflection inform you that the sacrifice is too great, and if there be no way left to reconcile your father, and restore the peace of your dear mind, but by abandoning me, I can joy you drive me forever from your thoughts exert your resolution and let no compassion for my sufferings bear the least weight in that tender bosom believe me madam i so sincerely love you better than myself that my great and principal end is your happiness my first wish why would not fortune indulge me in it was and pardon me if i say still is see you every moment the happiest of women my second wish is to hear you are so but no misery on earth can equal mine while i think you owe an uneasy moment to him who is madam in every sense and to every purpose your devoted thomas jones
0: what sophia said or did or thought upon this letter how often she read it or whether more than once shall all be left to our reader's imagination the answer to it he may perhaps see hereafter but not at present for this reason among others that she did not now write any and that for several good causes one of which was this she had no paper pen nor ink in the evening while sophia was meditating on the letter she had received or on something else, as violent noise from below disturbed her meditations. This noise was no other than a bout at altercation between two persons. One of the combatants, by his voice, she immediately distinguished to be her father, but she did not so soon discover the shriller pipes to belong to the organ of her aunt Western, who was just arrived in town were having, by means of one of her servants who stopped at the Hercules pillars, learnt where her brother lodged, she drove directly to his lodgings. We shall therefore take our leave at present of Sophia, and with our usual good breeding, attend her ladyship. End of section 52, book 15, chapters 1 to 3. Recording by Andy from Invernum currently in Birmingham. Uh, web address www.melys.ws